Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 17th, 2019, we're continuing our series titled Walk This Way from 2 Timothy. Today's sermon, Inspired to Serve, is going to be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-13. through 13. Hope you enjoy! You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Thank you so much for the family that you have given to us. Why is Dad giving that guy a blanket? Hold the door for Grandma Jay. Thank you. I got you. I got you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you and to be disciples. I'm so sorry, baby girl. Let's try again, okay? Go ahead and ease it forward. It's okay. Let's go. Come on. I got you. Good job. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read here from verses 8 through 13. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with me as I read all this. Verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself." That's a powerful bit of words. The passage here that we're talking about this morning sort of fits into the overall theme really well because it's really a lot about serving. As I was preparing for this, I started thinking about what would it, what would need to happen? What would need to move you to get you to serve? I mean, take up your time, perhaps some of your vacation days. Take your money, certainly. I mean, it costs money to go to places like Haiti and into Asia and India. Would you be willing to go and put your comforts aside? I mean, comfort meaning, you know, like well, we're really used to our own pillows and our own beds and stuff like that. And as long as I stay at a nice, nice hotel, it, it seems like that's okay. But this goes way beyond that. I mean, what if you get there and there's no running water? Our first trip uh, we took to Haiti, I went 10 days without a shower. Well, so did everybody else too. So, I mean, I'm, I, you know, you're, you're getting, like you're taking water, you're putting on a rag and you're trying to, you know, do an oaky bath. If you're from Oklahoma, I don't mean that personally, okay? <laughs> All right. But, you know, you put your comforts aside. No AC. You don't get the, few, the food you want. I mean, you get what's there, right? 
You know, the Bible actually tells us there's some really important reasons for us to serve. For example, in Hebrews chapter 6, one of the things that we learn about service is that God actually rewards it. He doesn't miss it when we serve him. And we find out in 2 Corinthians 9 that service actually ends up becoming this proof that we believe that we're his children. But the main reason, the primary reason why we serve is Jesus. Jesus. It follows his example. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus stops and he says, you know, not even the Son of Man, which is a term he used for himself, not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve. That provides the model. That's sort of what we've seen here from the very beginning. When, when Paul first starts writing this letter to Timothy, he's really trying to challenge Timothy to keep serving, to keep sharing the gospel message. And he starts off in chapter one and he tells him, look, you've had some unbelievable models around you. I mean, your grandma, your mom, super faithful women. I mean, they're really, you know, been there. They provided the model for you over and over again. And, and clearly we've seen how gifted you are. I mean, we all stopped and laid hands on you and prayed for you and realized that you're called to this ministry. And then you get into chapter two. And he starts, you know, Paul starts using these examples of of what a real servant, you know, the dedication that a servant really needs. Examples that Timothy would have clearly got the example of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. But when you get to verse eight, he will give the ultimate reason to serve, and that is Jesus. Let me read verse eight again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Jesus here should be the most significant motivator in every single believer's life. In fact, it's interesting here that Paul actually starts off and uses the word remember. Why does he have to say remember? I mean, it kind of, I mean when I first looked at that, it, it clearly begs the question, well, is it possible to forget? Well, the answer to that, I think, is no. I don't think we ever forget that Jesus went to a cross and died, but here's what I would say. I think sometimes we don't remember. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes in life, we can get really busy with the work and the comings and goings of life and the schedules that we lead, that it's just difficult for us to remember because remembering has the idea that no matter what I'm doing, it sort of plays a part in every single decision that I make. And I'm not sure that we always do that. And so Paul here is trying to you know, remind him, don't forget, remember Jesus. Specifically, remember here Jesus' power over death in the grave and his sacrifice. I mean, that is the greatest, most significant truth you are ever gonna hear in your whole lifetime. It's interesting, sometimes when that truth hits us, how powerful it is. When Kinsey was singing that song there at the end, the reminder that Jesus actually came, suffered and died, and then had the power to come out of the grave is a powerful reminder even in our own lives to the point that you know, we, we think about all these things that are going on again in life and then the truth hits us and it moves us to the point that it's almost emotional. Remembering. 
It's interesting here because he says, here he says, remember Jesus Christ. That's the normally the way that we would say it. But I don't know if you know this or not, but 10 times here in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul will actually flip those around and he won't say Jesus Christ, he'll say Christ Jesus. Now that may not sound like a big deal, but it actually reminds us here what he's trying to emphasize. By starting off by saying Christ Jesus, what he's trying to emphasize here is the role of Jesus being the Messiah. But when he starts off with Jesus first and says Jesus Christ, he's really talking about Jesus' humanity and the fact that he would go and he would suffer. That's what he wants us to remember. Now why is Jesus' death such a big part of my thinking? Well, turn in your Bibles over to the right and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Keep your finger there in 2 Timothy. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse three. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me read that one more time. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And what the writer of Hebrews basically does here is this. He tells us that one of the great important things here about remembering the fact that Jesus went and died is it becomes an issue of motivation in my life. It moves me. It keeps me going. This is the gospel that Paul preached, that Jesus would come and he would die. And it's important for us to remember that, that salvation came at a great cost, that Jesus did suffer. He did die so that I could be forgiven. The world doesn't like that message. Remember the movie that Mel Gibson made a few years back, The Passion of the Christ? You know, that movie got blasted by scores of people because they said, oh, they just totally embellished how much blood was there. They made it way overly bloody. They didn't even get close to making it overly bloody if you understand what crucifixion really means. They would have taken a whip, a whip that had nine strands on it. At each of the end of this strand would have a large you know, ball of leather all wrapped up that, and coming out of that strand would have been a talon either made of bone or rock or metal that they would have filed down and made a really sharp end on it so that when Jesus was tied up and he would be exposed like this, they could take that whip and wrap it right around and tear flesh away. Then they would take these, these, these nails and they would drive the nails probably through the wrist where the hand and the wrist come together right there and then through his legs. I mean, blood was everywhere. There was no embellishing going on here. Jesus suffered and he died. And we need to be reminded of that. This is the key issue. In fact, he keeps going here just to show you how important this issue really is. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Everything in our faith, I want to tell you right now, everything in our faith hinges on that statement. Take your finger here. Go back to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you why I say that, because that's a really bold statement. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 14. 
It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Drop down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Do you get that? This is the issue for Christianity, folks. If we believe the resurrection is true, it should not only have a huge effect on our lives, it's what keeps us going and doing ministry. Now, keep going here, because Paul clearly wants to remind him that that Jesus came and suffered in the flesh, because he says here is the offspring of, of David. In other words, he has this bloodline that you could track and follow, Jesus here being the model. You can keep your finger here in 2 Timothy. Go over to Matthew chapter 20. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20. Look here, start at verse 20. Well, actually, we'll start at 25. I think 26 is what they have, but we'll start at 25. 25 says, but Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. But whoever should be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the call of our life. That is the model. It's to be serving. Now, there's a second thing that Paul wants Timothy to know here, and that is we're supposed to remember those who need to hear the gospel. Go back to 2 Timothy here, look at verse 9. He says, For which I was suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul is reminding Timothy of the cost of sharing the gospel that is great, and he mentions the fact that he himself is in chains. And by the way, that happened a couple of times. So when he says, I, I suffer hardship, the, the time that he was in writing 1 Timothy, which is, you know, comes before this, he was in prison in Rome. Now he's writing 2 Timothy. He's again in prison. It's characteristic of preaching the gospel back in the first century. But he says something interesting here. He says, but the word of God is not imprisoned. In fact, you know what the only thing that imprisons the word of God is? Our silence. If we don't speak, it doesn't go out. Even now, I will tell you that the gospel is not bound. I mean, Satan's best efforts to try to shut down the gospel have failed miserably. Let me give you a perfect example. You know, if you walk into church, you'll see the same picture out in the lobby out here. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we live stream this out. So to give you an example, in one year's time, just putting this all together, the gospel outreach at Highlands Church in one year looks like this. We gotta have to do something about Mongolia and Iceland. But other than that, I mean, the gospel you can see is going out everywhere. 142 nations watch on a Sunday morning the things that we talk about. Now, I don't want to make this any bigger or smaller than it is. Let me just say this. We're just one church in one city in one state. 
what if God raises up hundreds of churches to send the gospel out? This is what our giving produces. The opportunity to go out. Sometimes we hear back from, from these places where people are there and in hiding. They have sought the Lord and God is growing them up and raising them. I mean, countries like China and Pakistan and Iran, Iraq and Saudi Arabia. Gospel's going out. The word of God is the only thing that can truly change a life. It's God's word that teaches me the truth about God. It's God's word that that convicts me and lets me know that I'm actually a sinner in need of a savior. It's God's word where I can find that true forgiveness only comes through Jesus. It's how I learn how to worship. It's how I learn how to live. It's how I learn how to get along with people, not just in my family, but people that maybe I work with and even my enemies. Verse 10 The focus here in verse 10 is on those who need to hear the gospel. Paul starts off and he says, therefore, in other words, as a result of this powerful gospel and Jesus' victory over the grave, we ought to keep proclaiming the gospel. And in verse 10 then he says, and he says, I've endured. Paul had endured. We don't do that very well, do we? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, when, when somebody finds out we're a believer, and they maybe make a few cracks or jokes or something like that. In this country, so many people typically back away and stop sharing the gospel altogether. I mean, it just doesn't become something that we want to do. We feel like we're mocked or, you know, it, we, we, we put persecuted with that or we're challenged and we stop. And Paul here is encouraging Timothy, endure Timothy. Endure. Jesus did. The model did. Stay at it. The gospel should be the motivating force in my life. I mean, it certainly is to the driving force between untold numbers of men and women who've gone out to the mission field because they felt compelled to preach the gospel to all people. This past week, Tyler and I had a chance to sit down with a guy and a girl who were both in my youth group years ago in junior high and then you know, came up through it. They, they, they felt God's calling them to the mission field. So they, and for whatever reason, they ended up going to Thailand, but not like the, the area in Thailand where there's tons of people. They went to the northeast part of Thailand, up by Laos. And so they had to learn Thai. And then out of that, they had to learn this language called Isan. And, and they go up there and... I mean, they literally live in a hut. They have no running water. I asked Mike and Lori, I said, Mike, what's the motivating factor? I share the gospel every day. And people respond. I'm going to be honest with you, that's convicting. I'm worried about what my neighbor thinks. Really? Paul is telling him, I endured. I went to prison. Timothy, keep preaching. Folks, this isn't just for me. It's all of us. This story about the Savior who came, the gospel story that changes our lives. This is our story now. It's our job to tell this story. God is the one who makes Christians. But the story, it's my responsibility 
Paul tells us in here, he even tells us why. He says, you need to do it for the sake of the elect. Now, let me just be clear here. The elect are not those that get voted in. The elect are those whom God chooses. Now, I know that some of you may not appreciate that term. Can I encourage you, get past that, please? I mean, that's, if God tells us he chooses you, are you going to argue with him? See, the question always comes up, too, whenever you do this, and I'm, I'm just going to answer it because I'll, I'll get asked afterwards if I don't. Well, are there people that are not the elect? The answer is, of course there are. There's a place that we all believe in that's, that's going to be full of people that have not followed Christ, called hell. Now, here's the thing. Do you know who the elect are? Nope. Are you going to know until you get to heaven? Nope. You know why? Because God has not chosen to give you that knowledge in any place in the scriptures. That's not your role. Your role is to take the story and share it with everybody because we have no idea how people are going to respond. That someone might, on their deathbed, have heard it over and over again and every single time put their hand up and then all of a sudden at that moment respond. Or like the thief on the cross, have lived a life completely separate from God, but at that moment he hears the truth and he says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. We share because it's our responsibility. But I want you to understand something. We believe, as a church, we believe God is sovereign over salvation. In fact, let me give you a simple way of understanding this. In the book of Revelation alone, seven times it mentions there are people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life since before the foundation of the world. Don't argue with me. Just argue with God if you really want to do that. How does it work? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you exactly. It's a mystery. All I know is that God in his sovereignty hasn't chosen to tell us all these things. He's called us to trust him. He's called us to share the gospel with everyone. And by the way, sovereignty just means God is in control. That's all it means. In fact, let me give you an example. Keep your finger here in 2 Timothy. Go over to John chapter 3. The last of the gospels. John chapter 3. Just let me give you some examples here so you can understand what I'm talking about. John chapter three, look at verse 27. It says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Go over to chapter six. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those of all that have been given me but raise it up on the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. God is sovereign. That's not our role. Your role is the story. The story. We're supposed to pray for people 
We're supposed to love them and encourage them, share the gospel. Somehow or other, God takes and begins to move in their heart and puts it together with a gospel message at exactly the right moment, something he calls concurrence. Scripturally, it's here. It's in Romans chapter 10. Verses 14 and 15, it says, How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who preach the gospel. That's supposed to be us. And so if you have family and friends who do not believe yet, share the gospel. And pray. Pray that they would be receptive and their hearts would open. Now, I believe what Paul is saying here is, if you love Jesus, you're thankful that he suffered, you're thankful that he came and died, that love will be seen as passion for the gospel. Because I know that Jesus can change lives. I know that he brings peace and hope and forgiveness and purpose and new life. And that he can make us make sense of a broken world. Now there's a third thing he's gonna tell us here. Not only is he gonna tell us that we need to remember Jesus who's come and suffered and died, and not only do we need to remember that we need to do all things for the sake of the elect, that we need to make sure that we're sharing the gospel, but now he's gonna tell us in verses 11 through 13 that we need to remember the faithfulness of our God. Look what he says in verse 11, he says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, a lot of people actually think that this was probably an early church hymn. Personally, I think this was probably a creed that people actually said at their baptism when they got baptized, you know, back in the day at that time. It was a big deal. It was like a confession. The reason why I think that is because the language here is the same as Romans chapter 6. If we died in him. It speaks of the biblical metaphor that baptism is and immersion is. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4 it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Let me read that one more time so you can make sure you understand here what's going on. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. I got baptized when I was 15 years old. That was about 1900 and something years after Jesus died. The baptism was a metaphor. That by faith, I already had my faith. By faith now I'm declaring to the whole world that I'm trusting Jesus, that I have trusted in him that I believe that he's there to forgive me. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so when you see baptism like we had, you know, in between the services and someone comes along and they take them out there and they take them down under the water, it's a picture of going down into the grave with Jesus, then coming back up out of the water is a picture of coming out and having new life. It's not when you get saved. It's a metaphor, the fact that you're identifying with God. 
And so when Jesus died and rose again and ascended into glory, he did it for us. And when we trust in him by faith, we enter into his death with him. So the metaphor is we died with him. Our sins were put to death in the death of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the grave, we rose with him. We received the life that brought him out of the grave. Verse 12. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. That part's all positive right there. But now comes the warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That should not be news to us as believers. Romans chapter one tells us that there are people that are gonna deny the Lord. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus himself would say, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who's in heaven. In other words, there is no universal salvation. You can't just be indiscriminately saved. It's not gonna happen. God is not some kindly old grandpa in the sky who's just gonna go, you know what, I was kinda kidding about that whole sin thing, come on in. That's not gonna happen. I think verse 13, I, 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 used, I used to think that verse 13 was like a contrast between our weakness and God's strength, like this was some temporary failure by a believer like Peter, but the problem is that little conjunction if there is in the present tense, which means this is permanent. This is a final denial. This means this person has no faith. This is not talking about someone who's struggling in their faith or discouraged or confused like believers can sometimes be. What Paul is saying here is, if I am without faith, it doesn't change who God is. He remains faithful for who he is. He is loving, absolutely, but he's also holy and just all at the same time. God's character is not dependent on us. He cannot be anybody other than who he is and what he is. That's important. So what's that mean for us? What's our next step? Well, every single person in here, regardless of where you're at spiritually, I'm gonna tell you what your next step is right now. It's the gospel. For some of you, the next step might be sharing the gospel story. Maybe for the first time. For others of you, it might be responding to the gospel story. But either way, it's the gospel. This week, we, we printed off a couple of thousand of these. It says the Roman road. It has the verses here, very simple. After the first service, all 2,000 were gone. So we've printed off a bunch more and hopefully there'll be some more for you there. Take one, maybe two at the most, but make sure that you leave some for, for some other people. But I wanna walk you through this because whether you're going to be the one that shares the gospel or you need to respond to the gospel, you need to know how. It's a very simple little thing. It starts off in Romans chapter three, verse 23, and it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me explain what that means. That means God's perfect and you're not. That you're a sinner. And regardless of what you do, you can never reach 
that level. You can never be perfect. You might be the best person in the room. You could give a million dollars to charity right now and you would probably be the best person sitting in here right now. But it would not fundamentally change you into being perfect. And the standard of God's heaven is perfection. Because all fall short of the glory of God. And that's a problem. Because Romans 6, 23 tells us, and you know what the result of that is? The wages of sin is death. It means I'm going to be separated from God forever. That I'm utterly lost. In fact, unless God himself makes a way, I'm lost. Every single one of us. You're lost too. It's not about you being good. It's not about you doing good things. You cannot on your own ever fundamentally change yourself into being sinless, to being perfect. Here's the good news. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, full of mistakes, even his enemy, that Christ died for us. That is good news. That was the way that we need. Then you turn it over and it tells us what's required of us. Romans chapter 10 Verses 9 and 10 said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth he confesses and is saved. So this is, this is one of those things that's so amazing. And Romans 10, 13 says, that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Want to know what the result of that is? Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not gonna be condemned. God's gonna look at you and see the holiness of his son on you. That's the good news. For many of you, for probably most of you, you need to grab one of these and I'm asking you to endure I'm asking you to step up just exactly like Paul was asking Timothy. Share the story, the gospel story for the sake of those who need even to hear it. And the way you do it is remember Jesus. For others of you, those truths I just told you, maybe you need to begin your relationship with God this morning. You do that by simply taking a moment right where you're at. You don't need anybody else around you and simply asking God to forgive you. He will. Ask him to come and, and reside inside of you, to live inside, put his Holy Spirit right inside of you and take control of you. He will. And then let him have control. Now I want to encourage you, if you did that second thing, if you prayed that prayer or you do pray that prayer this morning, there will be a group of people that will be up here afterwards. They would love to pray with you. They would love to take a moment and just pray with you and encourage you. In fact, they'll even have a free gift for you, a book that will help you get started in your newfound faith this morning. Let me pray, and I'm praying that God would move in your hearts. Father, Lord, I pray this morning that you would move in us just as Paul sought to encourage Timothy to take the gospel seriously, to share it with all, that you would move inside of us, that we would take the gospel seriously.
that we would see that this is our responsibility, Lord, that you're the one that changes hearts, but you're calling us to tell the story. And that, Father, if there are any here this morning that want that desire to be your child, that have asked you to forgive them and come into their life, God, would you make it real? And Lord, would you move throughout our church to share this gospel story with all that need to hear it this week, Lord? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, let the gospel be an issue of your life that you would share it with someone that needs to hear. God bless you all. 